everyone and welcome to this debrief brought to you in partnership with British Rowing and Junior Rowing News. I'm Fergus Mainland, host of the End of the Island podcast powered by Junior Rowing News and over the next 20 minutes or so we're going to take you through the final Olympic qualification regatta. The regatta is cutthroat. There's a stark contrast between the elation of qualifying for the Olympics and those in tears knowing it's all over when they finish outside the qualifying positions. This year's final Olympic qualification regatta took place at the Lake of the Gods in Switzerland, somewhat fitting because we know just how cruel the gods can be. And for this recording, I'm delighted to be joined by Olympic gold medalist Mark Hunter and Eric Murray and Olympic silver medalist Jess Eddy. And Mark, coming to you first of all, there's really nothing else in our sport that's quite as brutal as this event that we've just had over the weekend. No, it's like the, it's the weekend of death, isn't it? This is like crew's last chance to make it to the big one. Um, there were some incredible performances, some heartbreaking moments. And um, yeah, and I suppose with the schedule change, that was even a bigger kind of U-turn for some of the crews to think about. Um, I'm sure some of the other guys will have some insight on that. But imagine trying to race four times, you know, over 24 hours or some of the crews three times. So it was an epic weekend for some. Um, but yeah, look forward to diving into some more of the detail uh, with Eric and Jess. And I think the, the first place to start um, really has to be the, the British crews that we had. And I think you called it regatta of, of death um, of Mark, but I guess Jess, it's probably regatta of disappointment is probably the best way to summarise the, the four crews that we had racing out in Lucerne. Yeah, I mean, I just reiterate what Mark was saying. It's it's a horrible regatta. Luckily, I've never had to race in it, but it really is kind of cutthroat. It's a bit more like Henley, you know, you lose it and you're out of it. Um, but on the flip side of that, you can qualify for the games. But yeah, the British boats, um, I was a bit disappointed by them. I thought we'd probably get one or two at least over that line to the qualifying regatta. But um, there's, there's a few silver linings to look at and not all is lost. There's some, some good performances through the, the, the season and there's a bit more of the season to go for some of those boats. So I think what we'll do is we'll start by talking about those four events, the men's pair, the men's single, the lightweight men's double and the women's double as well. We'll talk about the British performances and we'll go on to look at the rest of the international field and then we'll take a look at the wider races as well. So Eric, your boat, obviously the men's pair, we had with the Netherlands, we had the Danish qualifying, the British back in, in fifth place. What did you make of that whole men's pairs uh, event? Yeah, I thought the men's pair actually was, um, it was quite tight. Um, you know, there you have the top Americans that are coming over, um, you know, Tom and his mate. And then also you've got, um, which is, is something we probably talk about as well, the fact that uh, like the Germans, um, you know, they were in the pair and the German heavyweight men's program actually only has an eight qualified. You know, they failed to qualify in the pair uh, and also in the four at the same time. So, you know, you've got some um, some pretty good countries that just don't have pairs going to the Olympics. Um and I guess it just shows uh, like a little bit of shift um, in how uh, a lot of the countries around the world are, are focusing a, probably a little bit more on the pair um, now that we've buggered off. Um, you know, and, and I think that does, it's a great thing for the sport. Um, you know, if you've got countries that are really focusing on putting their top guys into that sweet position, um, you know, that's why you, you've sort of seen the results that you have. So, you know, it's a, it's a great result, um, you know, uh, but obviously at the same time, um, you've got that, that that epic disappointment from a lot of people that have have really sort of trained for two years you know and I think we have to remember that as well it has been two years working to this regatta um, because normally it's only the year of but seeing as nobody's really raced together for, for that long um, you know it's it is sort of the first time for a lot of these competitors to actually come overseas and, and do some competition. Yeah, Mark, 10 boats qualified for the uh, British Olympic team. The first time since 1968 that we're not going to have a men's pair racing. But 
I think it's a young team, particularly uh, this year. So I think for those guys racing in the pair, just to get this racing experience under their belt in Lucerne, it's a great opportunity for them and something that's certainly going to help them out in the lead up to uh, Paris in 2024. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's quite interesting because we had like two big hopeful boats and it was the men's pair and the women's double. They were two boats. So I think we're all maybe overconfident that they were going to kind of make it when we kind of looked at the results of the Europeans. Um, and for me, it's just a red flag of like what we did well, but we need to be really conscious of that as we go forward, as the other nations come in. And, you know, they are young combinations. And I think in some of those events, especially the women's double, I think the German crew, there was some really good experience there. And I think in these really intense battles, this sort of knockout, as Jess was kind of uh, referring to, um, that experience can be really like highlighted when it comes into those kind of, uh, kind of races or finals where it is winner takes all basically. So I think it was a good learning experience it's going to be a very, very painful one to deal with because there's nothing worse than watching your fellow colleagues from your team going to the Olympic Games and competing and what might have been for you. But I'm hoping, hoping they can use that as they kind of move forward and go into the kind of, you know, the next Olympiad, which we know is obviously a condensed Olympiad as we kind of build into Paris. And Jess, following the Europeans, we were really excited about the performance that the women's double put together, third place, that bronze medal really excited to see sort of the step on that the women's sculling had made and it just looks after this performance uh in in lucerne that there's still still work to be done but obviously as mark said it's a condensed olympiad leading up to to paris so it's certainly an achievable goal getting the boat qualified again and hopefully stepping on for, for paris 2024 yeah, I mean, the GB women's double of um, Saskia and Holly were, were, were really strong at the Europeans, got an amazing bronze medal. I thought they rode really well. I still think they rode really well. And my initial reaction was, yeah, I was absolutely gutted for them. Horrible. But they have to treat this as the first year of an Olympiad. And, you know, they can just carry on training this summer, get really strong training under their belt and hit the ground running in, in September when they come back with the whole team. And they can look towards Paris. So the negative thing, no Tokyo for them. The positive thing, they've only got to wait three more years and I think they've, they've got it. You know, they look the part and I think they need to learn from this and not be destroyed by it and hopefully they'll go on to do some great stuff in the future. Well, I, um, actually, added on to that, just I think they'll also, with the expectation that would have come because they did so well at the Europeans, all of a sudden the spotlight was on them. You know, they've got great speed, that they show they can do it uh, and actually dealing with that, which... Now, Eric can kind of talk about this more than anybody, the expectation of every single race you go to by being successful, winning everything. And I think that's a valid learning curve they'll take from that experience as well. I think we've all had the position, though, in our careers where mm. there is defining moments. Um, you know, like, man, I, we had a couple, um, but, you know, the biggest one for us is not making the final when we're at the Olympics, you know, after being world champions. And so you have that expectation of going in uh, to a big event thinking you're going to do well uh, and that's the biggest thing is you go I think we're going to do well we should go well things have been going going right for us going uh, as we build into it but then people throw amazing things at this regatta um, you know this this regatta and probably the B finals at the world championships of a qualifying year are the most fun races to watch because they're just brutal they that's where you do not want to be and of course so but They've got to learn from this. And so all your planning going forward, um, especially for all the crews that have missed out, is do not be in this position next time. That's as simple as you've got to go. Don't be in this position next time because if you're here again, it's, <laughs> you've already been here once, don't do it again. 
Yeah, it certainly upset galore. And I think we certainly saw that in the, the men's single scale, where I think a lot of people after his performance at the Euros, a lot of people were expecting Poland's Natan Magritski Simcek, boat race winner, to come in and take one of those qualifying positions, particularly because he raced at the Rio Olympics as well. But we had performances from Russia and Canada. Russia, of course, having a very good uh, final Olympic qualification regatta, but big surprises there in the men's single skull as well. Yeah, it was uh, one that really shocked me quite a lot, actually, the men's single skull. You know, you thought, I kind of thought it was between the Polish skuller and the Canadian skuller. Then the Russian just comes out dominating. It almost looked like watching Eric and Hamish again. They were like so far ahead. And then to look back at the rest of the field and, um, yeah, was that, you know, close, the, the race has all been brought close closely forward and um, was that because um people weren't ready for it or did the russian just you know take it the bull by the horns and, and really take on the race but um a really dominant performance by the russian single scholar i think this whole regatta as well yeah. yeah this whole regatta as well got shifted because of the fact that they condensed it where you tend to find and you know especially you know when we, when we start talking about it the lightweight crews especially like the, the chinese crews you know they were leading <laughs> They were in that qualified position all the way through and then just in that final 500, they couldn't hold it. Um, and was that a fitness thing? You know, they might've been prepared and ready for it. But the moment you've got to do two races under two hours, if you haven't practiced that before in training where the coach goes, right, you've just done a 2K and you're, and you're tanked. And then they go, right, we'll see you back on the start line in, in two hours. If you haven't done that sort of stuff and previously, when it comes like this, like it was at the regatta, um, if you're not prepared for it, um, you're going to show that little bit of weakness and you're going to show the faults. And I think that's just what happened. I think it's a mental thing as well, isn't it? If you, if you haven't done it before, you haven't had that, you know, that learned experience of how to deal with it, how to recover from one to do the next. Um, and it was a trait that we saw in both the Chinese lightweight boats where they were both in qualifying positions and then got rowed down in the last, 50, uh, last 500 metres. So I think maybe it's a program thing as well. You know, it's more than one boat that suffered with that through the regatta. Well, where you were just talking about the Russians, in every single race they went out, they went out like it was a 500-meter race and then just hung on. That's the way they were kind of looking at it. So they really kind of put this stall out there and let everybody chase them. So, yeah, very different tactics. Um, but, yeah, I think, as you kind of said, that the Canadian scale, I thought that was a phenomenal race, what he did there. You know, a young guy, under 23 world champion, um, to overhaul... You know, someone who was much favoured to kind of, it felt like another dead cert to top all that. I think that was a huge shock, huge shock. And Mark, actually, just, just sticking with you, just we'll wrap up, I guess, the lightweight men's double skull, the last of the four events that we had uh, British crews racing in. And obviously the lightweight double skull Euro event, the one you won your gold medal in. And I guess disappointment and I guess heartache really for for the British lightweight double because it's, it's something that just hasn't been quite right for the past few seasons or so. And and I guess I'm asking you, where does this leave lightweight rowing leading up to Paris when obviously we've been told we're going to have it for, for one last time? But where, where does that leave us? Where does where does British lightweight rowing go from here? Well, I, I think actually after Tokyo was a big, sh sorry, after Rio, there was a big shift thinking that this would be the last Olympics that you'd see that particular event. And maybe the care wasn't there to look after it, you know, when I think about it. And also it's about the athletes, having the right athletes that can actually deliver those performances. But we're not the only nation that suffered here. You've got the French haven't made it, the Danish and the Brits. That's your last three Olympic gold medalists in this particular event, and those nations haven't made it. So once again, as Eric was talking about the men's pair, there is a shift, you know, to different nations being successful in this. And, you know, the Canadians and the Czech boats were the top boats back in 2019 that didn't make the cut. 
So they've kind of, you know, they were kind of, I think, ninth and tenth in the lightweight doubles at the Worlds in 2019. So, you know, they were just off making it. They've booked their seats now, but um, it is heartbreaking because we have had so much success since event, and now we don't have a boat going. Uh, it's quite sad to be watching that event now with no uh, British flag kind of racing down the tracks. But but Eric, almost switching it up now, we're going from sort of devastation to, to celebration. One of the standout performances, I imagine, for you was seeing that uh, New Zealand men's eight uh, get into one of the qualifying positions and uh, book their ticket to Tokyo. Yeah, um, you know, they they were pretty disappointed after 2019, um, and and obviously didn't make it. But they've been they've been working pretty hard. Um, I, I think they they knew they had the potential to do it. Um, they got a bit of got rid of a bit of dead weight um, from the boat, that sort of stuff, and uh, and it sort of pushed on a little bit. And and when you've got young guys, you know, especially in that crew, you know, you got four guys in there never been to the Olympics before, and they're just hungry. And that, and that's really what it is. You got some hunger, you got some experience, and and that's what we see in that crew. And uh, you know, we, we're sort of lucky lucky and unlucky when we're down here in New Zealand because we, we do just train against um, ourselves because we, we, we don't go anywhere, um, you know, and ultimately that's what we've done really, really well in the past. That's why the New Zealand crews probably for the, for the better part of a decade or more have been so successful. It's because we do have a really good internal program that just races each other all the time. Um, you know, we used to race against the lightweight double, um, you know, women's quad, men's double and so you know the eight can go out and just break it down or jump out against the quad or just do handicap racing that sort of thing so they knew they had the goods um and that was one thing that's why row new zealand only actually sent to men's eight because we we had some other crews that could have potentially gone like the men's quad and the men's four but they just went up to speed um you know and and that's the thing you got to think of at the same time is you know, you've got to only look at these events and say, where are we going to target? You know, if we want another crew in the Olympics, what's it going to be? Um, and our eight was where they wanted to stack everyone and put it in. Now, we, we could have put a four out that would have probably qualified. Um, but, you know, ultimately, getting into that eight is something that the country really wants to do well with. You know, you develop more people by having that eights program. So it was good to see them out there, good to see them out in front. But, you know, we've, <laughs> I've got to say, fingers crossed, because nobody realizes this, is that, and coming back to New Zealand, if they, if any of those guys test positive for COVID and they haven't been following the restrictions, they won't be getting on a plane and there's only bookings for MIQ. So they could be stuck in Europe for like six weeks to a couple of months, um, you know, and so fingers crossed, they, they've, they've followed protocol. They're going to get on a plane. They've still got to do 14 days in isolation here in New Zealand. Um, so there's equipment and everything going up into the hotels. Then they've got to get back on the water for three or four weeks um, and then bugger off to Tokyo, you know? So it's a very hard ask for them. Um, I think they've got the passion and the drive to, to go there. Um, it, it looks good because ultimately, you know, the Romanians were right up there with the British at, at Europeans. So if we can sort of transfer that this next sort of couple of months into the Olympics, uh, you know, I, I think we'll be in the final. Um, it's really just going to be to see which crew can, can just put everything together in this COVID world that we live in. And just speaking of COVID, obviously we had heartbreak again for the for the Swiss national team. They had a positive test, and just like that, dreams shattered because because perhaps they weren't following protocol properly or they weren't taking the necessary steps to look after themselves and their team. Oh man, I was I was gutted when I when I saw that, and I mean that is pure heartbreak, isn't it? When you um, something happens like that and I read about it and saying that there was no symptoms and then the whole crew has to isolate and that's it. 
like over um i probably i hope it's the last we see of it it might not be it's going to be a really hard two two months leading up to the games and I know how germaphobes we are as athletes anyway. Um, you know, when once we got to the games, we're like, don't touch anyone, don't breathe on anyone. And this is almost times 10. So it's going to be hard and it's going to be a new kind of level for them, them to deal with. But um, yeah, absolutely gutted for, for the Swiss women's quad there. But, you know, I think there's, it's a sign of hopefully um, keeping up the protocols and, and making sure you, you know, cross the I's and dot the T's and don't leave any stone unturned in that respect. I've got to say, like, for even the, like, women's crew here in New Zealand, all our women are just, like, they're already in their own bubble. And I think every crew from every country that's going to Tokyo needs to be really vigilant and just be in their own bubble. Like, there's, from now, you know, it's like going on a training camp. Wherever you've gone, you've got to just lock it down and minimise your, your, your contact with the outside world because all it's going to take is for one person and then your crew, you know, and, and that's... For the next sort of couple of months, is it really that big a deal to just be a bit more of a hermit and stay at home and just go back and forth to training um, and limit your contact with the outside world so that you can be in the best position? Because otherwise, you know, we, we talk about it and, you know, you guys said at the start, you know, getting injured or just anything that can happen um, working up to the Olympic Games, like this is, this is a big one and it can just come out of nowhere because you touch something that you shouldn't have touched. Um, and that's really what could happen in this next little while is that we could see some crews that um, are really like right up there, some of the, the world beaters, and then all of a sudden people have got to get moved out of boats or they're not going to Tokyo. So they're still in this next little while building up to the Olympics. It's going to be really, really interesting to see who can just navigate through this, this pandemic to get to, to actually get to Tokyo itself. Also, um, I think what, what's been quite useful, Eric, with the eight is that they've, your eights come across They've gone through that whole process and that whole learning experience they would have taken from that, they can kind of feed back into the team, which is invaluable. And when I was talking to some of the the, the, the kind of British lightweight women's double, when they were going to the Europeans, I was like, this is a whole experiment for you because the athletes that haven't experienced this come Tokyo, this is going to be, you know, a little bit unnerving. They don't know what's going to happen, all these protocols mm. in place. But if you've gone through that, that's that kind of knowledge bank you already have. And I think Tokyo is going to be the protocols in place are going to be absolutely ruthless, absolutely ruthless. Because imagine if you go into the village or they are allowed in the village and it is, well, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, I think just reflecting on one nation who's who's actually doing it right and, and doing things well at the moment is, is Ireland. They've had foundations that have been building for a number of years now and they've just delivered it again at this uh, final Olympic qualification regatta. What does this what does this mean for rowing Ireland? All finally putting together these performances. I think it's their their largest number of boats they've ever qualified for Olympics. It's a great position for their country to be in at the moment. Yeah, I've got, I've got it written down here. One of my standout nations <laughs> were I mean the Irish, and um, okay, they had two crews qualified, but the women's four hugely significant. They're a small country. It's hard for them to get an eight together. So the introduction of the women's four for, for a country like that is why we need the four. Um, really strong performance from the four and from their lightweight women's double. And yeah, the, the nation as a whole is, is doing incredible things. Now, historically, they are a fast nation. I remember when I was a junior, they were winning um, lightweight medals left, right and centre. So that they are a very, very strong nation in, in rowing and they've got history in it. So it's just great. You know, rowing sometimes is the right time, the, the right place and things coming together. And I think it is for the Irish team. And um, everyone loves to see the Irish doing quite well. And I, um, I think it was a really, really good regatta for them. And, you know, those four, they've got a, a real sense about them. They've got an Instagram following the big, strong girls. And they, um, th yeah, I think they're doing great things and keep an eye on them.
I was they, were, say- um, they were like second, they were like second fastest prognostic or something. They were like second fastest of the day behind like the lightweight woman's double. And that is generally number one. And the Irish four has come out and basically been the second fastest. So I've, I've looked up some data and I got one of your, your British, your British man, old Daniel Spring, who's a, who's a good follower and does all those things on, <laughs> on Twitter um, to have a look because the, the, over the last sort of uh, couple of Olympics, there's been about 10 or 12 people that have gone to qualifying and come away with good medals, you know? And so there's no reason why like this Irish four wouldn't go away. If they keep on the track that they're going on, be right in contention to win one of those medals um, for the women's four, you know, it could be really, really exciting. Yeah, I agree. And I think we've had great performances from Ireland, from Canada, from Russia, but also Denmark as well. And I think Mark, just asking you this of, the effects of having a good final Olympic qualification regatta or a bad one, what sort of effect can that have on a team's morale uh, over the next few weeks as we lead up to Tokyo? Yeah, I think, you know, you've mentioned those nations that have had a really good experience and that kind of, as they go back into the environment with the rest of the team, you know, that will kind of, that excitement they have because we've got more athletes going, bigger team going. Um, But then obviously the teams that come back and they haven't been successful and those extra boats haven't made it, it's just something for coaches to be aware of. You know, you'll start to think of actually the previous results we did at the Euros, you know, were we ahead of the head of the world at that particular point? You know, were we, because some of the boats were really race ready. Like normally as you go through the season, you kind of progress and get better and better. But some of the boats I saw, I was like, wow, they are flying already. So can they maintain that? And that's all about the kind of man management, the kind of coaches and how they're going to look after that going forward. But um but I think the crews that have done well at the, uh, the qualification regatta, it's that excitement now of how they enjoy the excitement of making it, come back down to earth a little bit, and then re- go again to come the game. So I'm definitely looking forward to the Irish. And I think one thing that if we look at all these nations, especially the Irish, it takes one boat to start being successful. That feeds into other boats, and it just progresses. And you know, as a team going to the games, um, you know, it's definitely a couple of medals there for them. And you know, particularly in my old event, the lightweight double, I'm looking forward to those guys kind of uh, doing the job in Tokyo. I can't see anybody touching the Irish lightweight men's double because, yeah, they've got so much depth and quality, but it's also an exciting boat to watch because they can win from anywhere. And just starting to, to wrap up, I'm keen to hear from the three of you, maybe Jess, if you want to go first, your standout moments or the performances that you thought really, really stood out over this final Olympic qualification regatta. Chinese women's eight. I thought um, we've not seen much speed from them recently uh, in the past decade or so, and they just came out and took it to the field. And you can see they've been coached by my old coach, Paul Thompson. Um, they rode it really well. And I think that them beating the European champions, the Romanians, who are going very fast this year, um, is really putting the cat amongst the pigeons. And I think watch out for the Chinese women's eight. Eric, what about you? Uh, well, I, I definitely think the Irish four is one to watch. Um, you know, it was, it was quite an impressive row. Uh, I, I'm going to say one to watch and only because <laughs> only because uh, he used to be our coach, but the, the Canadian lightweight double will be one to watch. Um, you know, and I think going through the program, you know, they've got Dick Tonks as a coach and I know how much of a hard ass he is as a, as a coach. Um, and of course, he's 
obviously put them in a, in a fitness state to be able to back stuff up. And I think that's why they were one of the, they were able to win that, um, that doubles race just because they could, they were just so fit. Okay. So if they, if they fine tune things and they go in and they peak really well, I think that could be something really, really good to watch. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I think, I think those two, um, and, and also like the women's pair will be interesting because I know the women's pair, it's, it's going to be quite competitive. And we've got a couple of standouts, you know, Kerry and Grace are going to be, you know, right at the front. Um, but just seeing, you know, the Russians and, and the Danes coming through, um, I think it's just going to be a really, really good mix of crews at Tokyo. And, and it's just going to be such a great thing to watch because, you know, obviously there's been some Euros and we're going to get a couple of World Cups, but it's just like going to be nothing that we've seen before because, Normally, you get such a good idea after the, the final World Cup of generally how people are going to be going. Um, and this year, it's going to be so scattered that it's really just going to be turn up. And, and after the heats in Tokyo, we're going to see who's going to be the top performance. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I think the seeding for the Olympics is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because normally the last World Cup really sets that up. Uh, but not having everybody there, um, that's going to make those heats it might be the heats of death come the Olympic Games, so that'd be quite interesting as well. And I think the standout for me was really the Canadian sculler. I think Trevor Joe, that was super impressive and really be interested how he progresses over the next 60 odd days come the Olympics. Um, and he's part of that Canadian program, which is, you know, Dick's kind of running as well. So it'd be interesting how he, you know, keeps evolving over the next couple of months come the Olympics and what he can produce in Tokyo. So there we have it, the final Olympic qualification done and dusted. And we've got World Cup 2 not too far around the corner, and that'll lead into World Cup 3 as well. And as Mark said, we're at less than 60 days or so away from the Olympics, and we've just ticked over that 100-day marker to the Paralympic Games as well. So we've got plenty of exciting racing and action to bring you as we run into the Tokyo Games this summer. But thank you very much for joining myself, Jess, Mark and Eric. And uh, please stay tuned next time for the next installment of The Debrief.